morning and welcome to worship at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. We are so glad that you have found your way to this sanctuary, whether it be the few of you who came by foot or car or Facebook Live uh, or even our website or podcast. We're glad that you're here with us on this World Communion Sunday. It is the day that we gather with Christians from all over the world, all cultures, all denominations, all traditions, all time and space for the purpose of unity in Christ at the table where everyone is invited and everyone belongs. If you've not yet done so for worship this morning, please take a moment and set your communion table, which will be united with ours with wine, grape juice, crackers, or bread before we begin with worship. We are especially grateful for members who continue to lead us in worship through this time of global pandemic, not the least of which is Eric Winkenwerder, who helps with all of our sound and lights. Select members of our choir are here this morning, and our youth elder, Maggie Thrasher. Thank you all for being here today in worship. Tonight at 4.30, if you are a child or have a child or know a child, you're invited to join us safely on the front lawn at 4.30 for story time. And then at 5 o'clock, all members are invited to gather safely for a community picnic and worship out on the lawn. Please bring your dinner, a mask, chair, or picnic blanket at 5 o'clock. For all of you all who are hoping to join a fall Bible study or small group, those links and details about those classes can be found on our website. If you happen to be a member of the Covenant Sunday School class, we hear that you had some technical difficulties this morning with Zoom. We will work hard this week to get those worked out so that you can tee it up and try again next week. Don't lose faith or hope. Um, our hearts and our extended sympathy are uh, go out to Marsha and Kelly Cooper and their family on the death of his mother, Frances Lee, on September 26. And lastly, it is with the promise of the resurrection that I share the sad news of Selwyn member Angie Madigan's death, which occurred early in the hours yesterday morning. Angie endured several years of cancer treatment with tenacity and faith, and our prayers extend to her husband Matt, her daughter Olivia, her son Patrick, both today and ongoing. Please pay close attention to our weekly email as plans for a memorial service are being considered for later this week. And to Angie we say, well done, good and faithful servant, as she has found her peace and eternal rest. Let us now prepare our hearts to worship God.
As you are able, will you please stand and join me in our call to worship? Sing to the Lord, whose mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. But how can we sing the Lord's song when so many are without? Sing to the Lord, whose faithfulness renews us every morning. But how can we sing the Lord's song when so many are gone? Sing to the Lord, who has not forgotten the melodies of salvation. Let, Let us remember the joy of the Lord and sing a new song together. Let us pray. Almighty God, even as the drums of warfare beat on through the night, even as the cries of injustice linger in the morning, even as the hustle of busyness rumbles through the day, even the beats of anxiety rattle our souls and quiet our hearts, still our thoughts, join us in your worship. Remember us in your mercy as we try to remember you throughout the proclamation of your good news in story and in song, and through the hospitality of your one gracious table. Unite us as one body, welcome us again. One Lord, Creator, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
great is the faithfulness of God, and yet our hearts are not so reliable. We wander, we argue, we forget, we divide ourselves with anger and bitterness and falsehood. Let's try to come back together again, and let's start with the truth. Let us confess our sins to God and also to each other. Will you please join me in our prayer of confession? Almighty God, Mother of mercy, Father of grace, you have called us to one table, but we have pursued our own course. You have promised us the abundance of all creation, but in our greed and envy, the world goes without. You have promised us the bread of life itself, but in our pride and arrogance, the world goes hungry. You have promised us the waters of peace and justice, but in our violence and discord, the world goes thirsty. And now we are famished too, Lord. Have mercy on us. Forgive us again. Transform us at this table and for this table and send us from this table as servants of your righteousness by the power of your Son, our Lord. Amen. Even when our cup runs dry, God's grace overflows. Even when our plates are empty, God's generosity overflows. Even when our hearts feel barren, God's love overflows. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. You have been called and claimed by the God of all things and by the abundance of God's grace and the power of God's love. Your sins have been forgiven. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On this World Communion Sunday, we veer away from our fall preaching series on the Gospel of Matthew to consider what it must have been like for the early church to be the church at a time when they were surrounded by constant threats causing anxiety, fear, uncertainty, and indifference. Within a generation of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the Apostle Paul established church communities across the Roman Empire. Philippi was one of those places, and it was the westernmost city of Macedonia in which a Christian church was established. Philippi was located on the base of a major Roman road, which connected the eastern region to the western coast, giving them access to a direct shipping route to Italy. The aristocratic city of Philippi was built on the ideals of Roman honor, progressiveness, and upward mobility. Yet somewhere in the depths of the city, a community of Christian believers sought to be faithful to the good news that Paul proclaimed to them over many visits. The Jesus way of humility and downward mobility. After sending their incarcerated pastor a financial gift in Rome, he takes the opportunity to thank them while sharing them the following advice that we are going to read found in Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 18. Listen now for the word of God. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our nation continues through a year of disturbing and anxiety-provoking happenings. Let me name just a few reasons why sticking together to recenter and refocus our lives according to God's promise of hope and salvation might be important. The headlines from just last week include competing arguments about a Supreme Court nominee, two wildfires continuing to ravage California, the 27th storm of the season, Storm Gamma, hit Mexico yesterday, the grand jury recordings from the Breonna Taylor case were released, the first presidential debate has been deemed nothing short of a train wreck, And now over a million humans have died from COVID-19 across the globe. And we pray for our nation's president and many other political leaders who are also infected. Disoriented, disconnected, disengaged, disturbed. And while we, the church, we have held our chins up and our hopes high, 
After six months or so, Selwyn Avenue, we must ask ourselves, what does it mean for us to be the church in a world like this? What are we called to do? Who are we called to be? Why does it even matter? And so also, you and I as individuals, we must also ask ourselves another question. To whom or what do I bow? How do I center my life and the life of my family? If the church matters at all, then how does it define who I am? Because to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord is to come together and align our lives and priorities according to God's will and pleasure and not our own. And while we have no idea why the early church community in Philippi was struggling to keep it together, we can assume that the church was not firing all their Holy Spirit pistons at full capacity. Because this morning we find their pastor Paul sending them a good old-fashioned gut check in the form of a letter. And he was concerned about one thing and one thing only. And it was not the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, or how or when they gathered for worship, or who made the mistake, or who forgot, or who failed, or who misspoke. It had nothing to do with their political leanings toward or against Caesar. It didn't even have to do with their finances, or the finer points of the way they interpreted scripture or theology. No, it seems Paul's urgent concern in the midst of a threatening world that was constantly promoting division and individualism and greed had to do with unity. The church's power, their joy, their togetherness, their growth, their health, their security, their freedom, their ability to proclaim, embody, and model the promises of salvation, the core of not simply what they do, but who they are. Their identity itself depended fully upon their unity in Jesus Christ. Unity? Now? Well, wouldn't that be nice? We can't even stand in the same room together without considering the risk of catching a deadly virus. And while the church in Philippi may have been polarizing themselves or arguing in some way, at least they had the chance to gather. They were living and walking and working and worshiping together day in and day out. So maybe they fought. Maybe they voted against each other. Maybe they hurt each other's feelings. But at the end of a long week, were they not sitting at tables together and breaking bread and celebrating the Lord's Supper? Were they not hugging and shaking hands at the end of a hard discussion? Could they not sing a hymn at the top of their lungs without their masks on in a room full of people? Could they not pass the peace and gather for Bible study and choir and vacation Bible school when a beloved member of the community died? Were they not at least able to circle the troops and bear the burden of grief together while proclaiming the resurrection? What becomes of us if we do not intentionally and fiercely attend to our unity? I preached to a camera with a bright light in my face 
And I pray that God's Spirit will transcend these distances of time and space and that you will understand my intent and my heart, even though we're not together. And you turn on your phones or your computers or your TV the best you can, and you set your tables with grape juice and crackers, and even though I can't look you in the eyes to see if you are joyful or if you are hurting, you pray your words are heard and that the church understands them. I miss you. I miss church. And if I do not sleep at night, it is because I worry about the impact this moment in history may or may not have on our good, vibrant, faithful church. And I am relying and trusting and hoping in Christ's promise and sustained faithfulness experienced in the spirit of our togetherness. Because most of us are worried and anxious and we are exhausted by the tax and the turmoil of our world. And I am pretty sure, regardless of who our next president will be, that we will neither build back better or make America great if we continue to behave like the disunited states of America. But perhaps this morning, perhaps this morning, Paul is urging us, the church, to consider the risks of approaching our faith and our church and our religion according to the standards of this world as opposed to the standards of Christ. Disunity in the church dismembers the body of Christ. And the good news about Selwyn is that we tend to get along for the most part. The Greek word that Paul uses for community is koinonia, it is a community that is rooted in God's covenant and steadfast love. And while we enter these God relationships of koinonia and humility and good hope, unity takes a whole lot of ongoing, intentional, honest, active work. And that can seem mighty impossible when we are all exhausted and overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life. You see, the real threat to the church is not anger or discord. It is indifference. This is true for our church. It is true in our relationships. It is true in our marriages. And it is true in life. Several years ago, I spoke with a friend from college. And at the time, she and her husband had been married for 10 or 11 years. And they were strung out. They had three young children, two stressful jobs, medical school debt, and a tired old communication pattern threaded with snips and judgment and condescension and blame. And the day we spoke, she said, I don't even care anymore. I don't get mad. I don't yell back. I don't cry. I don't do anything. And in some ways, it's so much easier but I feel so alone. Now maybe there are seasons when we need to wait something out. Certainly long-term relationships have seasons, but I'm not sure that that is faithful to our calling in Christ Jesus. At what point does our indifference lead us to forget that we are actually all on the same team? Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any consolation from love or sharing in the spirit or compassion or sympathy. Be of one mind and one love. And we, well, we say that's a pretty tall order in times like these. But actually, it's not. Actually, it's an order to keep at it by bowing down, by dropping to our knees, by pouring ourselves out. Unity isn't silence and indifference. Unity is not being polite and holding a grudge. It's not sucking it up and going it alone. It's not even eye rolls and side conversations. It's not living as a doormat or a wet blanket. And humility is not shame. And obedience to Christ is not accepting abuse or cruelty. And while faith is personal, it is not private. Unity requires courage, intention, patience, peace, hard work, sacrifice, negotiation, compromise, risk, and mutual forbearance, which Paul explores throughout his letter and has long been practiced and preached as we honor and struggle in the tension between our unity and our diversity. Within the PCUSA's Book of Order, it states that we believe that there are truths and forms with respect to which people of good characters and principles may differ. And in all of these, we think it is the duty of both private Christians and societies to exercise mutual forbearance toward each other. Well, I'm not seeing too much mutual forbearance out in the world today. But Paul really wasn't writing to Caesar and the government officials, was he? It is the Church of Jesus Christ that keeps him up at night. And as South African Bishop Peter Story has written, the church must be different from and offer often over against and in contradiction to the ways of all nations. Here's what the world is asking us. Are you progressive? Are you conservative? Are you Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you in or are you out? Are you one of us or are you one of them? That's what the world is asking. And if our answer is more important than our unity in Christ, then perhaps our priorities are out of whack. Because the one question Paul is asking, the one question that we must answer over and over and over again is this. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Because if he is, your identity and my identity depends upon one another, and our very being as the body of Christ depends on our unity. And I promise this global pandemic will not last forever. And I promise that this election, it is going to come and it is going to go. But the steadfast love of God endures forever. And this church, our church, existed long before you and I ever showed up, and it will be here long after you and I are gone, which I suspect is why Paul does not go into the weeds about the carpet or the fight or any of that other stuff, but instead he turns to a hymn that he loves, a hymn that says Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him so that every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church is not the church. We are not the church without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would have no purpose, no identity, no hope, which is why this morning we gather at the Lord's table to repent and to remember with Christians from every nation and every denomination and every tradition, evangelicals, Pentecostals, Baptists, Protestants, Catholics, fundamentalists, progressives, those we understand and those we do not, those we love and those we despise, those we embrace and those we are indifferent to, all the sinners and all the saints that have gone before us from generation to generation. These are long, dark nights, and by the grace and unity of our Lord, we are called to shine like stars. Amen. Friends, there is no other table like this table. This is the Lord's table. And the table will be wide. And the welcome will be wide. And the arms will open wide to gather us in. And our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust that there is enough. And we will come unhindered and free. And our aching will be met with bread and our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame. And we will turn toward each other without fear. We will give up our appetites for despair. And we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing. And everywhere, will be the feast. Come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give our thanks and praise to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Let us pray. God, for you so loved the world, you created all. Out of darkness and chaos, you molded and formed and called it good. On this World Communion Sunday, where we are forced to be separated, we pray that you would gather us. Bring us together in our brokenness, that you may make us whole. As we ache to be together again, may we bend towards one another instead of away. As elders and leaders continue to wrestle with the season, may we speak to do your will instead of our own. Coming together as your church to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you and our neighbors. Our neighbors who suffer from illness and disease, for our president and all recovering battling COVID-19. Our neighbors who experience job loss, building debt, and homelessness. Our neighbors who seek a warm meal and a full stomach. 
Our neighbors who are at the hands of oppression, rejection, abuse, and neglect. Our neighbors who deal with war and terrorism on a daily basis. Our neighbors who grieve and long for comfort, for the family and friends of Angie Madigan, we pray that you would hold them close and wrap them in love. Gather us all to your table to be the salt and light for which you have called us. Praying in your name and in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray boldly, saying, Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. you're worshiping with us at home, now is the time to gather your bread and juice. And if you're in a room alone, you're still worshiping with us, and just follow our lead. And if you're worshiping among others, we invite you to pass the elements to each other using good safety practices and using the words that we will guide you with. Friends, on the night of our Lord's betrayal and arrest, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant, shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. For every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. broken for you, and the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. 
Let us pray. Lord God, in gratitude, deep, deep gratitude for this moment, for this table, for these people, and for the ministry of churches around the world who gather with us today, we give thanks. We also give ourselves to you. Take us out from this moment to live as changed people because we have shared the living bread and we cannot remain the same. Ask much of us, expect much of us, enable much by us, and encourage many through us. Continue to unite and strengthen us so that we might share the good news of your wide and welcoming table with a very hungry world. Amen. Friends, discipleship happens in many ways. During our anthem this morning, I invite you to consider the ways in which God might be calling you to respond. Maybe you're feeling called to join a Bible study or a small group, or to help care for our hungry and homeless neighbors. Maybe you're feeling called to call a friend or to reach out. But discipleship also includes the sharing of our financial resources that have been entrusted to us. So during this time, we invite you to share a portion of your gift so that we can continue to share the love of God with each other and our neighbors. Our text to give number is 704-734-9818. Let us listen and respond to God's call. Jesus Christ, you have prepared all these for us salvation. Now in your presence we have come and had your Thank you. 
Gracious God, you create more than we could ever hope to return. You share more than we could ever hope to deserve. And yet we pray you might accept our humble gifts. May they honor and glorify you in all creation, and may they empower us for the work of witness and service, for the sake of justice and for the sake of peace, now and forevermore. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding, dwell in your hearts and your minds until we gather again in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.